Okay, fun seekers, are you ready to learn everything there is to know about investing? Well, no, not, <laughs> not in one session. No, dear students, it takes years to become a seasoned investor. But in this short presentation, we'll show you that it doesn't have to be that difficult, especially if you're not interested in becoming a seasoned investor. There are people out there who will do it for you, just as there are people out there who will build a car for you and make your shoes for you and, and uh, sell you milk and bread and sugar and eggs. Yes, there is an entire industry devoted to investments. And, it, and in the vast majority of cases, they are the people we want to go to. But you may decide that you want to learn how to invest on your own and it has never been easier and harder huh well there's a lot of drech we could say out in the investment industry and there are a lot of people who will lead you down paths that you really should not go because often what i find is people think they need to get four monitors and three computers and four telephones and they're going to be buying and selling every day and they're going to no that's if you're doing that that's not investing that's called speculating and there is a place for that in the world but for a very, very few people, dear students, in our Business 123 Introduction to Investments class, we, great, we take great pains to explain the differences between an investor and a speculator, also called a trader, T-R-A-D-E-R, -E not traitor, not T-R-A-I-T-O-R, but somebody who buys and sells uh, investments all day. They're, that's a very different world, and you... And I don't want to be a part of it. So what we're going to do today is go through an overview of the major investment alternatives and see that for the vast majority of us, it really isn't that hard once we've decided upon who we're going to trust. So let's go through the slide 20, slide 23, slide 13, and uh, take a look at the major investment alternatives not in detail. We will discuss them in detail later on throughout the rest of our semester. But for now, we're flying above the investment landscape at 40,000 feet and looking down upon the landscape. And the first investment alternative we have on slide number 13 is stocks. Stocks, it's not a good name. It really should be called businesses or corporations, literally, because that's what you're investing in. You, as a little droogy out there in the big wide world can buy one share of Home Depot. Yes, you can. And when you walk into the Leviathan, the belly of the whale of Home Depot, which is what I think of whenever I walk, whenever I walk, whenever I walk into a Home Depot, I feel like I'm in the belly of the whale. You can go to the one aisle, aisle 23 or 87 or 149, and point to that one little square part of that aisle and say, you know, on that one shelf where they have the, whatever, <laughs> the nuts and bolts, and say, that's my part of Home Depot. <laughs> because there are millions of investors around the world who own billions of shares of Home Depot. But you get to take advantage of the fact that Home Depot is in business to make money, and you too can be a part owner of that corporation. And there are thousands of them out there for, the juice, for you to choose from. And what have they returned over the long term? 
Well, I like to tell people eight, nine, ten percent. Some have done much better. Some have done a whole lot worse because you share in the participation of success and in the participation of failure, too. And we should always consider stocks long term investments. And remember, what is long term? Right. Five, six, seven or more years. Uh, there are people who own it for five, six days or five, six minutes, but then those are not investors. Those are speculators. The second major category is called bonds. And bonds are not ownership. Bonds are loans. Yes, you get to play the part of the bank. And whereas when you go to the bank and borrow money, corporations, state and local governments, such as the city of Chula Vista, Southwestern Community College, the state of California, and the federal government, Treasury, the Treasury government bonds, they don't go to a bank. They go to the investment community and they say, look, hey, we're Walmart. Hey, we're the state of California. Hey, we're the United States Treasury. Will you lend money to us? And investors say, well, sure. What are you going to pay me? Hmm? Because that's what the bank says, right? <laughs> and what is the credit risk that we have to think about? And what have the bonds returned? Well, I used to tell people 4 to 8% because that's what they used to do. And he, after World War II, up to including just a few years ago, bonds used to pay, you know, 3 or 4 or 5% if you're investing in government bonds or municipal bonds. And 5, 6, 7, even upwards of 8% if you're investing in corporate bonds. But they ain't paying that any longer. And it's interesting. If you go past in time World War II, before World War II, bonds used to pay about 3 or 4 or 5%. So we've gone back to the time when bonds were only paying two to three to four percent. And right now, some bonds are paying even less than that. Some bonds are paying less than one percent. And if you go outside the United States, some bonds are actually paying negative interest. What? You give them your money and they give you less money back? They give you fewer dollars back? Yeah, I want a mortgage with a negative interest rate. Yeah, but you can't get that. So we consider bonds long to intermediate term. They work for long-term investors, but I believe bonds are better intermediate term, you know, a few years. Now, what if you really need your money soon in the short term, three months, six months, a year or so? Then you need to put it in what we euphemistically, it's a fancy way of saying a, a nickname, call cash. They're not, it's not really, you're not putting it into mattress. You're putting it into um, savings accounts or what are called money market accounts or certificates of deposits that we talked about earlier in the semester. And these things are guaranteed or pretty darn close. We're not going to lose our money. But what are you starting to understand about the nature of investments? The less risk we're willing to take, you got it. The less return we're going to get from our investments. And now these things, some are paying zero or pretty darn close. Well, you saw what the savings accounts were paying at the, earlier in the semester, 0.01%. Some of them are not even playing the game. They're just saying, look, we're not going to pay anything because we're not making anything. And, uh, and that's what's going on. And you're lucky if you get 1% now on a, on a short-term investment. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's the nature of what's going on now. The lower the interest rates, the lower level of, of, um, of growth that investors 
believe it's going to occur in the economy. Hmm. And there's another reason for low interest rates, too, which we don't want to get into, the Federal Reserve Bank and their ability to, uh, sh to knock down or drive up short-term interest rates. And we won't discuss that here. But you, if you are so inclined, can do plenty of research on the Infernal Net uh, and discuss the role of the Federal Reserve Bank or the role of any central bank around the world in Europe um, and the Far East and more and more throughout the world. Now, the fourth category is annuities. And we discussed annuities quickly in Chapter 10. We'll discuss them again quickly now. Stay away from them. You know, there might be one or two out there that proves the exception to the rule, but for the most part, they are horrible investments. They're great ways to make your life insurance agent very, very wealthy through very rich commissions and sending them on an all-expense-paid seven-day Caribbean cruise if they sell enough of these horrible things. But for the investor, uh-uh. Now... Let them come after me. Let them sue me. I would love them, the insurance companies. Remember, I'm an insurance agent to come after me and say, say for saying annuities suck. But I'm not the only one to believe this. Sorry about the language there, folks. There are many other people who are saying, look, annuities are not in your best interest. Now, there are a few situations where maybe an annuity might work for somebody. But what do they do, folks? They're life insurance companies. They just take your money and they turn around and put, put it into bonds. That's a fixed annuity. And look, the bonds are paying two to five. The annuities are paying less than one to maybe three if you're lucky. Right. They're what's happening to the extra two, three percent. It's going in their pocket. The variable annuities turn around, take your money and put it into stocks and or bonds. And they can pay anywhere from less than one percent up to maybe five or six percent. Again, if you are so lucky. What is the rest of the money going? That It's going in their pockets. So be very careful. Contact me. I'd be happy to take a look at the, the, the whatever they, they're trying to sell you. Yeah, they're, they're not good investments, folks. And I get into heated arguments sometimes with other sales representatives in the financial industry. In fact, one guy was going to punch me. <laughs> and, I, and I'm a coward. Cowards run in my family. I ran. And his buddies were trying to calm him down. And my friends were saying, Frank, that guy's nuts. And he came back later on, he, later, later that evening, he came over and apologized. But I thought, because they've convinced themselves that these things are good investments for their clients. How else could you, if you have any kind of ethics, how else could you sell them? I don't think you could. Now, what about real estate? Notice that real estate is one of the bolded ones. I hope you're seeing the difference between the bolded and unbolded ones. Real estate is a great long-term investment, folks, but it is not for the faint of heart, especially here in Southern California. It's very difficult, as, as we'll take a look at later on in, in, um, in detail. But notice that the return over time for real estate is actually less than stocks. Now, the real estate professionals, the agents and everyone else, they're jumping up and down saying, Piano's not correctly describing the difference between stocks and bonds and real estate, and they're absolutely right. It has to do with the way we buy real estate typically. And we'll go into that in detail later on. But know that real estate has done far better than 7 or 8%. In fact, here in San Diego County, it's done a, oh, at least twice that much, but it's not without its problems. 
no investment is perfect and no investment is guaranteed unless you go with very safe, short-term cash investments that are backed by the full faith and credit of the United States government. And even people believing that the United States government is no longer... I think they're wrong, of course. And then there are other investment alternatives that I hope you will avoid unless you know exactly what you're doing or are willing to lose a good chunk of your money or preferably both. Derivatives, huh? Options, futures, what are these things? Hard assets? Hard assets? Yeah, precious metals, art, collectibles. Eh, no, folks, you're going to see that these are not good investments unless you really are crazy over china dolls or beanie babies or baseball cards fine art it just it's it's a great hobby and it may turn into something lucrative but for the most part no and then finally starting a business which is the ultimate investment dear students but it is also as we can find out if we try a very difficult things to do but for some people that's what they're going to do they're going to start a business they 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 they're driven it's often, as we'll find, it's in the family. It's just part of the family ethos, or part of the, that's a family way of saying it. it's just part of part of what's make, makes up the family. Uh, is that the right word? Ethos? I'm not sure. Or theme? Um, it's in the family's DNA. That's a better way of saying it. And so you may be one of them. You may be saying, "I'm going to start a business." And best of luck and success to you. But none, none for the vast majority of us. None, 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 none. none. Okay, slide. So those are the major alternatives. And what we're going to concentrate on are, whoops, see if I can get this working, stocks, bonds, cash, and real estate. And then we'll spend a little bit of time here. We're not going to spend any time with these bums. But there are some links for you to, if you don't believe me, <laughs> people out in the industry who talk about annuities and not always very flattering. So slide number 14. Let's go to the next slide. So, what is your choice? If the goal is long-term, example, retirement, right, your 401k plan, your Roth IRA, which we'll discuss in detail later on, then my choice is high-quality stocks, although some people prefer bonds because they are less risky than stocks. Do you want to eat well or do you want to sleep well? Well, we're going to see that with a combination of both, we can eat reasonably well and we can sleep reasonably well. So stay tuned. If the goal is intermediate term, then bonds or REITs, real estate investment trusts, a way to invest in real estate without actually having to be a landlord, makes sense. But if the goal is short term, you have no choice but to use a guaranteed short term cash investment, such as a money market account. Although bonds close to maturity could also work, the others really never make sense except for a small percentage of the population. And you may get involved in real estate, direct real estate investing. And, and I wish you a lot of luck, but it's not easy. I call it tricky. It's very tricky. And um, and we'll see as we later later get on. So, okay, okay. Hey, okay. So I'm buying stocks and bonds. Slide, slide uh, 15. Great. When, how do I get started? Well, actually, you don't. <laughs> what? You don't buy the stocks and bonds, that is. For the vast majority of people, the best investments are mutual funds that buy the stocks and bonds for them. Now, there are two great advantages of stocks and bonds that I'm going to highlight, and I hope you memorize and burn into the back of your eyelids. Professional money management and diversification. 
These people are paid to make the investment. Some are very good, some not so good. But then there are people who are made paid to, you know, raise chickens and goats and ducks and provide you with food and wheat and corn. There are people who are paid to give you the injections and there are people who are paid to make your cars and your shoes and your and your television sets. Yeah. And the same thing is true in the investment world. We can have other people do our investments for us. And and some of them, as I said, are very, very good. Like some, some of the cars are very, very good, very reliable, last for years. Others, not so much. And the same thing is true for money managers. And we get instant diversification. We find that the mutual fund has already invested in 100 different stocks or bonds. So if one company goes like Kodak, and some of you don't even know who I'm talking about, you may have heard the name, but they used to be everywhere. Every store you went into had their little yellow boxes of film. Right. And now they're gone. And that's what happens to the companies. They they come into existence. They grow. They mature. And some of them reinvent themselves and some of them die. That's capitalism. But wait a minute, Piano, you got me all excited about buying stocks and bonds all by myself. Besides, in their commercials on TV, Ameritrade and Scott Trade show everyday hardworking Americans just like me happily and profitably buying and selling stocks all the time. Hmm. You see the car commercials? They used to have, it was E-Trade, used to have the commercials where a baby was trading with his with his uh, tablet, right? He had a tablet, not a phone. It was like a tablet. A baby was, yeah, right. <laughs> Slide 16. Let me ask you a few questions. Do you have the discipline, courage, and brains to buy when everyone else is selling and sell when everyone else is buying? Do you have a strong background in finance, business, marketing, economics, politics, and history? Are you part of a global research team stationed all around the world because the world is global, folks? GM sells more Buicks in China than they sell here in the United States. Coca-Cola, based in Atlanta, makes 80% of their money outside the United States. So even if every United Stater decided to stop drinking Coca-Cola, it would still be a huge multinational corporation. Plus, you need to look at their and talk to their customers and their competitors and their suppliers. And do you have enough money to buy at least 20 or more stocks representing various sex sectors of the economy? Because you're going to need energy. You're going to need telecommunications. You're going to need health care. And you're going to need basic materials and, 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 and housing. And oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. most important, you see, it's the last one's red and it's italic. That's important. Do you have a knack or intuition for recognizing unrecognized value? Hmm. Any idiot, yo boy here, <laughs> can buy the world's largest retailer. Who's the world's largest retailer, dear students? I hear you all yell out, Walmart. The knack, the, 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 the trick, the difficult part of investing was to buy Walmart 40 years ago, 50 years ago, when it wasn't the world's largest retailer. And I bet you don't know who was 40 or 50 years ago. Let me see, who are you saying? Sears? No, close. Um, uh, no, it was Kmart. What? Kmart used to be the world's largest retailer? Yeah, they were. And this is what a time when Walmart was starting out and putting 500,000, 400,000 square foot facilities in Bentonville, Arkansas and St. George, Utah. The rest of the world, especially we urbanites, said, what is the matter with these people? That 
that doesn't make any sense. You put something small there because of the market. No, no, no. Sam Wall, the guy who started Walmart, came from a small town, USA, and he knew that people out in the hinterlands, they don't think twice about driving two hours to go shopping. I mean, it's just what you do. So why not put something huge out there and get people from two, three hours away from all parts of the state to come on a Saturday afternoon and meet their friends from the other part of the state. And that's why they have the greeters. And that's why it's, I don't know if they still have the greeters, but you see, we urbanites, what is the matter with these people? But then he understood perfectly. And then it was just a matter of time before they moved into the urban areas and took over. So do you have that knack or intuition for recognizing a company before everybody else does? Hmm? Well, your results. If the answer is two or more of the previous questions is no, especially the last two, money enough for 20 or more stocks or an intuitive eye for value, stay away from individual stocks. They will eat you alive, dear students. I can't answer yes to most all those questions. I didn't buy Walmart 40 years ago when I should have. But if you're so inclined, if you really do want to uh, choose individual stocks, consider taking Business 123 Introduction to Investments. It's already online for you to peruse, peruse freely available. But next semester, think about it. Yeah, because um, I'll be there, Lord willing, and a quick don't, quick don't rise. Bonds are also difficult, individual bonds. Why? Because bond traders usually deal in tens of thousands of dollars per trade. <laughs> You'll see minimum amount needed, $25,000. But there are exceptions. The government bonds that you can buy directly from treasurydirect.gov, and that's actually one of our assignments in Business 123, is to research treasurydirect.gov. For the vast majority of us folks, mutual funds are our best bet. And if it means anything to you, virtually all of my family's financial investments and my clients and my mother and my mother-in-law when they were alive are in mutual funds. You got to know you better <laughs> you better do something right when you're doing it for your mother or your mother-in-law. I certainly can't answer yes to all those questions. So here, dear students, is one of the few graphics you will see on my slides because I'm not very artistically inclined. That's my brother. But I made this. Aren't you proud of me? Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> Here we are. We're the little people. And notice that more and more of them are women. Why? Because women are wising up, guys. You know, be careful out there. You know, the younger women are looking to see what grandma went through because grandpa or great-grandpa said he'd take care of the little woman. Everything would be just fine. And he didn't know what the hell he was doing. And then he died, leaving grandma, great-grandma, without any money. So women are saying no, no, no to that. We're not going to trust the men anymore with good reason. And we will see because we little people are giving our $50, $100 a month or more if we can afford it through our 401ks at work or our Roth IRAs or just regular accounts and giving it to the money managers. These are the money managers. See, they got the top hats. And notice more and more of them are women, which is a good thing. Why? Because it has already been statistically, empirically proven that women are better investors than men. It, it's already been decided, guys. Sorry, but it's the truth. Now you have a wide range, but overall, women are better investors. Now I'll leave it to you to decide why that is so. 
I have my own ideas, which I'm not going to share to you. <laughs> I think we talk about them more in the 123 class, Introduction to Investments. And they create a pool of money because there are millions of people giving billions of dollars to these money managers. I know it looks like a potato, but it's supposed to be like a pond or a pool or money. And then what do they do with it? These professional money managers, they research the stocks. And if they buy stocks, it's called a stock mutual fund. They research the bonds. And if it's called, if they, re, if they buy bonds, it's called a bond mutual fund. Funny how that works. And if they buy both, what we begin to see is the uh, incredible diversity of mutual funds out there. That's called a balance fund that buys stocks and bonds. If they buy the short-term cash investments that are guaranteed or pretty darn close, Thereby, then they're called money market mutual funds. But usually we don't see the word mutual fund. We just hear people say it's a money market. You see? And they don't buy one stock, five stocks, 20 stocks. They buy 100 or 500 stocks that they might have in their portfolio or bonds. So you're having professionals who are paid tremendous sums of money to do this, by the way. And some, as we said, are very, very good and some are not so good. And they are diversifying instantly your $50. You put 50 bucks into a mutual fund, 25 cents goes to Apple, 25 cents goes to Home Depot, 25 cents goes to Nike. You see? That way, if one company goes, the whole thing doesn't go. Because if you only have five stocks and one of them does, you lose 20%. If they're all equally you know, balanced. If five stocks, 20% each, one of them disappears like Kodak or Enron, or WorldCom, and these companies some of you have never heard of. <laughs> but it happens. Cool? What do you think? I think it's very darn cool. The trick is deciding which mutual fund to buy, and that's not easy. Slide 19. So how do I pick a mutual fund? Hmm. Well, there are thousands of them out there, and so... This is the tricky part for us, but we'll discuss it later in detail in Chapter 13. You pick a mutual fund that invests in high-quality stocks or bonds, is well-diversified across several industries and sectors of the economy and countries of the world. What does that mean? You're not just buying Apple and, and uh, Samsung and saying, okay, I'm diversified. No, you're buying companies all around the world in all the different economies and industries yeah because there are uh companies that do all kinds of things that we don't even know about right and uh and many of them we do but that way we are well diversified and all around the world and has a this is the most important folks has these last two has a long-term perspective and a manager or better yet a management team with many years of experience you want to avoid couple companies that shuffle their managers every few years, which used to be, I, I should really change this, it used to be virtually all of them, but now more and more of them are realizing, you know, it's not the best idea. Because if you're a mutual fund manager, what you do is you get showered with love and affection to start. Often these are very, very talented individuals from top universities, but they don't really have a whole lot of life experience. And they're not stupid. They know that if they don't produce in 18 months, two years or so, they're out the door. So they will often go for broke, bet on very risky investments, 
which may turn out very, very well, in which case they continue to be showered with love and affection and get to keep their jobs. If they don't do well, well, it doesn't matter. I was going to get kicked out in two years anyway. Well, that's just not very good long-term investing, in my humble opinion. And most, many, many companies now are realizing that, yeah, we've got to do a better job. And here's the most important one. You want a mutual fund company that's been around for decades and import, performed consistently well in both good and bad markets. Don't tell me how well you did in a good market. I don't want to know. Any idiot, <laughs> yours truly, can do very well in a good market. It's when things go bad, when the organic matter hits the ventilating device, that's when you know you have a good money manager. Because it turns out, as in sports, good offense is great and wins games. But some of you already know the saying, right? Good defense is better and wins championships. And so that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for, I don't know if it works right for you. If it does, if it's great. If it doesn't, don't think about it. But I'm looking for managers that do well when the markets go bad. Because they're going to. We know. History tells us they're going to. We just experienced it recently. Uh, in 2000 to 2002, 2008 and 9, then 2020. Bang! <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Nasty Microbe. Cool? Okay. So we'll learn, as we said, more about choosing a good mutual fund when we get to Chapter 13. Slide 20. How do I purchase a mutual fund? Well, normally a little bit at a time. Virtually all mutual funds will allow you to start an automatic investment plan with as little as $25 to $50 per month, or more if you can afford it, through your employer, as we said, 401k, 403b, or through your checking or savings account to an IRA, a Roth IRA, or just a regular account. And there are some that are very specialized. They want you to have at least $1,000, $10,000, or maybe $25,000. Look, you don't even want to deal with those companies. They're more specialized. You want companies that will take 50 bucks a month away from you and say thank you very much, and, and uh, that's what you want. Investing a fixed amount, 50 bucks, 100 bucks, periodically, every month, every three months, every year, is called dollar cost averaging. And folks, it's a horrible name. Some people call it a systematic investment plan. I guess that's a little better name, but you're going to hear dollar cost averaging more often. And I've tried my best trying to come up with a better name, but I can't. It's a system of buying an investment at regular intervals with a fixed dollar amount. 50 bucks, $100 a month or more if we can afford it or paycheck or whatever. With dollar cost averaging, but here's the good part, folks. There's always good news, Right. The market's up. Good news. And I can hear you all saying, yippee, yippee. Your account is worth more. Your $100 is now worth $100.20. The market's down. Good news. Huh? Why? Wait a minute. No, it is. When do you want to buy shares? When do you want to buy a company? When the price goes down. So next month, you get more shares at the lower price when your $50 or $100 comes out of your paycheck or checking account. Does this make sense? Don't worry about it. It doesn't have to. But just know that sometimes you're going to be buying stocks when they're high. Sometimes you're going to be buying stocks when they're low. But over the long term, assuming the world doesn't end and the economy grows and more of us are well fed and well clothed and well sheltered and we all have internet access 
you should do very well for yourself, as we shall see. Slide 22. But now it all sounds so boring. <laughs> you know, you thought you were going to be whiz-bang, and you're going to buy and sell, and you got the four monitors working, and the three computers, and the four phones ringing off the hood. No, no, folks, no. In the investment world, boring is good. Yeah, it is. After you build a solid foundation of high-quality stock or bond investments through mutual funds, oh, go ahead, play the market. I hate that phrase. I used to call it my Vegas fund, and it lived down to its name. <laughs> you try to you know, win big, you're going to lose big, too. And if you want a sports analogy, think of swinging for the fences, as we say in baseball, where you strike out a whole lot. Or throwing the Hail Mary pass where it usually gets intercepted. Look, take no, take no more than 5 to 10% of your financial assets and choose your own stocks. And be prepared for volatility. That's the industry's euphemism nickname for large losses. If you ask somebody, how'd that stock do uh, you just bought? Well, it's been volatile. <laughs> what does that mean? They bought it for $12 and sold it for $0.30. Cents. Do you know anybody who's bought a stock for $12? Actually, it was $11.88. And sold it for $0.30? Cents? I do. <laughs> I've known him all my life. He's kind of goofy, teaches finance and investment. It was a great stock, folks. It was so cool, but just things out of their control went bad, and then it fell, and then it fell some more. Look, I kept no more than 1% of our total portfolio, by the way, in the Vegas fund. And I no longer buy stocks like that. Now I call it my Benjamin Graham fund. And we look for stocks that Benjamin Graham would buy. And actually, whenever I've listened to him, I've done pretty well. And who is he? Well, we may see him a little bit later in Chapter 12. But you'll hear a lot about him if you take Business 123 Introduction to Investments. Cool. He was Warren Buffett, and you might know who Warren Buffett is. He was the teacher of Warren Buffett, so there's something to be said for Mr. Benjamin Graham. He sadly died back in 1975. <laughs> I'm getting old. No, I am old. Slide 23, coming attractions. So our next presentation of Chapter 11 is bonds. And normally I like to do stocks before we do bonds, but this is how the book did it, so this is how we did it. Um, uh, stocks. Uh, in chapter 12, mutual funds in chapter 13, very important. And then real estate and the others, which I hope you'll stay away from. And we'll examine all of these in detail. Plus, at the end, very end of the semester now, we will get into retirement and estate planning, where we'll tie some of these things back into the 401k and the Roth IRA and the like. Cool? Are you excited? I know I am. This is my favorite part of the semester. I think I already told you that, right? So now it's time for checking for comprehension. And in the face-to-face -face class, which we're not having these days, um, well, you have the remote classes. You would have your little ABCD cards and throw them up in the air. What are investment companies that pool investors' money and invest in a diversified portfolio of securities? Securities, by the way, is a fancy name for stocks and bonds. Investors get instant diversification and professional money management. Do you remember what that was? Short-term securities, stocks, bonds, mutual funds? It's mutual funds. 
mutual fund is the popular term, but the legal term is investment company, which I think is a whole lot better term, folks. I mean, you want cars, you go to a car company, you want shoes, you go to a shoe company, you want investments, you go to an investment company. Mutual fund is the popular term, and that's the term you're going to hear. You will not hear investment company unless you uh, get involved in the industry. That's just that's how it is. Okay, um, the slide number 25. What are investments that represent ownership in a corporation? Investors receive dividends and capital gains or capital losses, real estate, stocks, bonds, short-term securities, right? That's stocks. Stock investors are part owners of corporations, right? You can invest in Nike. You can invest in Walmart and the other companies. Yeah. And you can invest in companies overseas like Michelin. It's a little harder or Samsung, that's a little harder, uh, but you can do it, you can do it. Slide number 26, what are fixed income securities that represent loans to corporation, municipals, state and local governments, such as the city of Chula Vista, the state of California, and the federal government, the treasury. Investors receive interest and a promise to repay the loan. And these are real estate, stocks, bonds, short-term securities, or right, bonds. Bonds are fixed income investments. Why? Because we know we're going to get paid a certain amount of interest for 10 years or 20 years, and we're going to get our principal back. Assuming the entity doesn't default, just as we assume that mortgage holders are going to pay their mortgages, credit card holders are going to pay their credit. So obviously there's some risk involved, isn't there? We'll discuss that in the next presentation. Slide 27. What are investments with very little risk and correspondingly very little return? They are usually guaranteed or pretty darn close to being guaranteed. There is a huge opportunity cost if you leave your money here for the long term. Now, what does that mean? Hmm. Is this real estate, stocks, bonds, or short-term securities? Right. That's short-term securities usually referred to in the industry as just cash, low risk, low return. Now, what is a huge opportunity cost? Remember, we started discussing opportunity costs way back in Chapter 1. If you leave your money here for the long term, you are essentially leaving money on the table. That's the phrase you often hear people say. You are losing the opportunity to make much better returns, assuming the world doesn't end. And you still don't understand opportunity cost that well. But when in the next couple of weeks, I certainly hope that you will see it by the end of our journey in investments. You will see that by putting my money in a savings account for 5, 10, 20, 30 years, we're making the banker very happy and wealthy, but we're losing out on the tremendous returns that have been gotten by long-term prudent, I love that word prudent, investors who've invested in companies here in the United States and around the world. Cool. Slide 28. So what, this is not A, B, C, or D. It's what are reasonable expectations, expectations, of returns from the following investors. So what can we reasonably expect from stocks? Well, I tell people eight, nine, 10%. Some have done better, as we'll see. Some have done much worse. Bonds, I used to say four, five, six to seven, eight percent but now we're going back to a time before World War II when bonds used to return two, three, 4%, maybe 5% if you're lucky. And then short-term securities, well, they used to return 2, 3, 4, upwards of 5%, but now they're returning 0.01%, up to maybe, if you're lucky, 1%. 
and star and real estate. I'm sorry, real estate, seven to eight percent. But we're going to see it's a much it can be a much higher return depending on how we buy our real estate. And the typical way you buy a real estate, it's a much better return. And then mutual funds. Well, we don't know. It depends what the mutual fund invests in. If they invest in stocks, we should get about eight, nine, ten percent. They invest in bonds. Yeah, two, three, four percent. One zero zero point one percent if we're lucky in short-term securities these days, and then real estate. Mm, it's a little different. There are mutual funds that invest in real estate, but they invest mostly in what are called REITs, real estate investment trusts, and we discuss these in detail in Business One Twenty Three. But we'll talk a little bit about them here. They just allow you to invest in real estate without being a landlord. And these real estate investment trusts, these are the folks who own the uh, the malls and the warehouses and the big apartment complexes. And you can invest in them simply by buying shares in the trust. It's not a corporation. It's a trust. So it's a little different animal. But, they're, but they, uh, they work like a stock. And then the others, well, that's negative something because most people who get involved in that industry do so because it's a hobby. They love art or they love uh, collectibles, baseball cards or whatever, or cars. And sometimes they may make a lot of money, but usually, no, they usually don't do very well. Cool. Are you excited? I hope so. Well, because our next presentation is going to be about <sighs> bonds, boring bonds, stodgy bonds, reliable bonds. And then we'll get to exciting, sexy, dangerous, risky stocks. Cool. See you in our next presentation, dear students.